bassist and composer Adam Ben Ezra performing his own piece, Can't Stop Running for Solo Bass. That's a piece that our research team here at Relevant Tones came across on YouTube, if you can believe it. We decided we wanted to do a show featuring modern music for the bass, and there are a lot of, I think, obvious choices. A lot of people out there like Edgar Meyer who are really breaking new ground with the bass. But we didn't want to do just that. We wanted to also really try and find things we were pretty sure you had never heard of before. And so we came across that on YouTube and wrote him through his YouTube account, and he sent us a broadcast-approved version of the piece, Can't Stop Running, Adam Ben Ezra. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bostead, and today's theme is new music for the bass. The double bass is better known, of course, as an orchestral instrument. In fact, the term double bass comes from the fact that in the classical era, it was used to double the cello line an octave lower, and that was really all that it did. It was meant to just give some more heft to that line. But it's really coming into its own as a solo instrument, and composers are doing all kinds of interesting and sometimes crazy things with the bass. Let's turn to composer Frank Proto, who was also a bassist. Not surprisingly, when the bass was first coming into its own as a solo instrument, the composers were mostly bassists themselves, and Frank Proto is certainly one of the better known of those bassist composers. This piece is called Four Rogues. We're going to hear movement number one, Calm. This is John Ebbinger on bass and Roy Hakes on piano. I think this is a terrific example of what the bass can do. Thank you. 
That's music by bassist composer Frank Proto. We heard Calm, movement number one, from his piece Four Rogues, which he subtitles A Mystery for Double Bass and Piano. We heard John Ebinger bass and Roy Hake's piano. I think it's just a great example of a concert piece for bass and piano. It was composed in 1989, so not super, super early. And yet I don't think there were so, so many concert pieces for piano and bass being written at that time. And I just really like that music a lot. The other movements are well worth checking out also. It's not quite atonal per se. It's, it's a little jazzy, but not quite pointillistic. Very nice music by Frank Proto. And again, a great example of the bass in its own right, not as an instrument that's doubling another instrument. Let's turn to a piece now for two double basses. This is by bassist composer Dave Anderson. We're going to hear two movements from his duets. Movement number two, Parade of the Pigs, and movement number five, Lament. This is Dave Anderson himself and Hal Robinson in a live performance.
That's music by bassist and composer Dave Anderson. We heard two movements from his piece, Duets. That was Dave himself performing with Hal Robinson, actually a live performance. We heard two movements, movement number two, Parade of the Pigs, and movement number five, Lament. Dave is somebody that we contacted when researching the show, and he was very generous in sending music to us. I really fell in love with those duets, although all the music is very good. I think he's a composer of really great imagination. He's the principal bassist for the Louisiana Philharmonic, composer of great imagination and a really active bassist. Like so many bassists, he's active in a lot of different musical styles. That's definitely a recurring theme with bass players. They play contemporary classical, regular classical, Baroque, jazz, rock. A lot of them play electric bass. It's a real real common thread among bassists to just cross over into these different genres effortlessly. I'm featuring contemporary music for the double bass on today's Relevant Tones. And the next piece is perhaps the earliest piece, certainly the earliest piece that I could find in my research that features the double bass as a solo instrument outside of the orchestra. Although I think you could say that the composer really one-upped everybody or maybe he four-upped everybody because he decided to write for a quartet of double basses. And this is 1948. So this is a really early piece. And certainly it would have been unusual, (laughs) to say the least, to write for four double basses at that time. But he created the bass quartet, and it's now a fairly well-known ensemble. There are a lot of composers writing for the double bass quartet, but this is the original piece here by Gunther Schuller, Quartet for Double Basses. We're going to hear movement number two. We're going to hear the great Frederick Zimmerman, really considered the father of bass teaching in the United States. He'll be performing alongside three of his students, Robert Gladstone, Orrin O'Brien, and Alvin Brim. Music of Gunther Schuller.
I like to imagine that when that piece was first premiered in 1948, people thought, what the heck, Guthrie Schuler must have gone crazy. He's writing for four double basses. But the piece has become a classic in the bass repertoire, and he really created that ensemble, the bass quartet, that people now write for fairly frequently. So it was very successful overall, but it must have been unusual at that time. Guthrie Schuler was a proponent of what he called third stream, which is a merging of classical music and jazz music. And, you know, the bass is really the heart and soul of the jazz band. So I wonder if his thinking went something like, I'm going to write for the bass, pull it out of the jazz band, and then, well, I can write for four double basses and make it even more interesting. And the bass quartet is very difficult to write for. It's very easy to get bogged down in the textures, but he does a really great job of separating the textures, and they're very clear. You can always hear what's going on. We heard the second movement, Allegro Scherzando, of the quartet for double basses again by Gunther Schuller. Our performers were Frederick Zimmerman and his three students, Robert Gladstone, Oren O'Brien, and Alvin Brame. The next composer I met many years ago, maybe about 10 years ago, through the International Society of Bassists. I had decided to do this project called Spotlight Double Bass, in which I would be recording music written for bass, and I I wrote a piece myself for bass quartet during this project, and I would be featuring those recordings on the Access Contemporary Music website over the summer of 2005 or 6. And I met Patrick Naher through Madeline Crouch at the ISB as somebody who was composing just a ton of music for bass, and we became friends, and I brought him out to Chicago. He became well-known in the Chicago bass community, came out on his own several times, and is someone that I've been fortunate enough to stay in touch with ever since. I'm going to feature a movement from a piece called Duo Eclatant. This is Griggs Dance. It is for violin and bass. We're going to hear Patrick himself on the double bass with Mark Rush violin.
piece called Griggs Dance from Duo Eclatante by bassist composer Patrick Nayer. We heard Patrick himself performing with Mark Rush on the violin. I think it's a great example of Patrick's music. I know quite a lot of his pieces now, as I said before we heard that piece. He's been a friend of mine for about 10 years. I think it's a great example of that rhythmic vitality and then these sudden bursts of lyricism in the middle of the piece where the violin just kind of breaks into song all of a sudden. Great example of his music. Again, Griggs Dance by Patrick Nayer. You're listening to Relevant Tones, a show featuring the music of contemporary composers. My theme today is Deep Resonances, music for the bass, an instrument that's really coming into its own, breaking away from its image as only being an orchestral instrument. You can find out more information about the program on Facebook or on our website at relevanttones.com. We're featuring music for the double bass on today's Relevant Tones program. So many wonderful, wonderful things being written for the bass by bassist composers, but also by other composers who don't play the bass. Let's go to a piece by Tom Johnson. This is a very fun piece. It's called Failing, a very difficult piece for the string bass. Here is Robert Black. He is our bassist, and he's the narrator. And again, he'll be telling you all about the piece in the narration. called Failing by Tom Johnson has become somewhat of a classic uh, modern or new music piece for the double bass. It's subtitled a very difficult piece for a solo string bass and I think you'll soon see why. Because during this piece Failing I'm required to read a long text while I play music written above the text. The text must be read out loud at a more or less normal pace and I must not allow the music to slow me down. The task is fairly easy for a while because there's not much music and most of it comes at the end of clauses and sentences, almost like normal punctuation. Later on, there was more music and the task becomes more difficult. So difficult, in fact, that I will probably not be able to do it without either slowing down my reading speed or else making mistakes in the music. At least the composer feels confident that I will eventually begin to run into trouble, which is why he called the piece failing. So far, the task is still not that difficult. But the challenge is that as the piece becomes more difficult, I must continue reading the text at a normal pace and playing the music as well as possible, just as I did at the beginning. By now, I'm already rather busy just playing the notes and reading the text. But. The text says that I should also try to listen to what I am doing as much as possible and speak loud enough to keep a balance between the speaking and the playing. Ideally, both the speaking and the music should flow easily and naturally so that the audience can easily follow either element at any time. Sometimes the music has a strong aggressive quality and I have to speak quite loudly to be heard. At other times, the music is lyrical, almost sentimental, and I must speak more softly so that the speaking will not cover up the music. But I should make sure that the text is always easy to understand. If I allow my voice to fluctuate with the rises and falls of the music, the text may become difficult to understand, and that too would be a form of failing because the text makes it clear that the speaking should always be easy for the audience to understand, regardless of what happens musically. By now, this task is already rather challenging, but I have practiced the piece quite a bit, and that's a fact 
as well as just simply a line in the text. So, unless I'm having a particularly bad night, I can still handle the music quite adequately without slowing down my delivery of the text. I should be able to keep everything well in tune and even play the dynamic markings accurately. If I am concentrating well, I should even be able to maintain a good balance between the speaking and the playing, and remember the te make the text always easy to understand. Sometimes the music changes radically, but soon the music becomes more difficult yet, and I will probably start failing in one way or another. I should point out, however, that I am not obliged to fail. After all, the audience cannot see the score I am reading, and no one would ever be the wiser if I were to simply leave out whatever passages I am unable to play. People might be very impressed by my playing and think that I had succeeded in playing a piece which the composer thought could not be played successfully by any bass player. But of course, by leaving out the hardest parts like that, I would be cheating, and the performance would not really be a success at all, since the piece is about failing. By now, failing is extremely difficult. That is, the piece called Failing is Extremely Difficult. Oh, there are a few relaxed moments now and then, but most of the time I am required to play a tricky chromatic melody at a fast speed, and by now I am probably beginning to fail in one way or another. Of course, I don't particularly enjoy failing, and sometimes I think it would be better if I cheated a little, so that I would not fail too badly, and so that people would be more impressed by my playing ability. But on the other hand, if I do my best, and play most of the music well, it should be clear that I am doing the task as well as anyone could expect me to do it. Moreover, I will be interpreting the piece accurately, since it is obvious that failing is about failing. And if I succeed in playing everything accurately without slowing down my speaking or cheating or anything, I will fail to fail and thus miss the point. In a way, I almost want to fail because everybody fails in certain times and in certain ways anyway, and because that is what the piece is about, and because I want to interpret it appropriately. But of course, I must not try to fail. I must try to succeed in doing the task well, without slowing down and without missing notes, even though by now it is almost impossible to succeed for very long. If I tried to fail and then failed, that would be a kind of success and not a failure at all. So I must try to succeed. That way, when I fail to succeed, I will succeed in communicating the essence of the piece, even though I will fail to accomplish the task as it is set up. In other words, I will not be able to fail unless I'm trying to succeed, and I won't succeed in interpreting the piece sensitively unless my performance turns out to be a failure. Or, putting it another way, I will probably succeed in failing to succeed, not only because the music is so difficult, but also because if I fail to succeed in failing to succeed, I will fail to fail and thus miss the point, since failing is obviously about failing, and since any successful performance must be a qualified failure. In any case, I am continuing to read the text and play the music as well as possible, attempting to maintain a normal pace and make the text comprehensible. And I am probably continuing to fail here and there, but I should not be failing quite as often now as I was before, because the music is returning to some of the more lyrical material. 
Even that material is difficult to play as expressively as I would like under these circumstances, but at least there is not much danger that I will miss notes. And if I concentrate well, I can even maintain a good balance between the speaking and the playing. Soon, however, I will be faced with a fresh difficulty. The text is about to run out, but the music continues for another minute or so. During that time, I must decide for myself what to talk about as I play. <laughs> my, re my remarks are to be genuinely improvised and should include specific references to this particular performance and to the degree to which I have been failing or failing to fail or failing to succeed to fail or whatever. As before, I must continue to speak at a normal pace in a normal tone of voice and maintain a balance between the speaking and the playing. As an additional challenge, I am supposed to link the written part of the text with the improvised text so smoothly that no one will be able to tell exactly where the improvised speaking began and the written text left off. I can do this by one of two ways. One is by doing something as I did at the beginning of the piece and say a few introductory remarks so you were not able to tell where the piece actually began. Just like you can't really tell where this sort of thing left off. But as you probably guessed by now, I'm well into the improvised part of the text. <laughs> and it's not a very easy thing to do to try to make up a text like this on the spot that's in the same style as the text I've been reading. But I don't have to say too much more now because I only have about three more notes to play, so I know I won't fail anymore. And after I play these last two notes, I hope you won't fail to show your appreciation. It's a special treat. Robert Black performing Failing, a very difficult piece for string bass by Tom Johnson. He is narrating and playing the bass at the same time. Of course, that was a live performance, and the audience obviously very much enjoying it, as, as I did, and as I hope that you did, too. Robert Black is an incredible bassist. He's also a composer and a huge proponent for new music for the bass. There he was in a sort of comedic role. Let's have him now in a more serious role. This is Robert Black performing a solo double bass piece by the great composer George Pearl. This is called Monody Two. Thank you. 
It's music by the great George Pearl, a composer who just passed away a couple of years ago, but was a fantastic 20th century composer who was really interested in finding a middle path between tonality and atonality. I think if there's any one thing that we will always associate the 20th century with, it was that incredible move away from tonality and so many composers that embraced that. But George Pearl had what he called 12-tone tonality, which was trying to find tonality within the 12-tone system. So that piece that we heard there, Monody 2, is atonal, but it's not as rigidly structured as you would think of for most 12-tone pieces. That was Robert Black performing on double bass. Let's go in a completely different direction now and turn to bassist extraordinaire Edgar Meyer, somebody I talked about at the very beginning of the program as a bassist who's really finding new lyrical possibilities, I think, for the instrument, really pushing the boundaries in that respect. Somebody that can play very, very high and still be in tune, still be very, very beautiful and lyrical. We're going to feature a movement of his concerto for double bass and orchestra, the first movement, and the actual first pitch is a very low pitch. This is the low D, which is just under what's usually the lowest string on the bass, the E. So he's really showing off the range of the bass in this movement. Let's hear Edgar Meyer himself performing with the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, Hugh Wolfe conducting.
That's music by Edgar Meyer, his Concerto for Double Bass and Orchestra. We heard the first movement performed by the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra with Hugh Wolf conducting. Our soloist, of course, was Edgar Meyer. I think it's a great example of what I was talking about before we listened to the lyricism that he gets out of the bass. It's a beautiful solo instrument, at least in his hands. And I love those bluesy slides that he does. If you think of the bluegrass tradition, that's more likely to be present in the guitar or the fiddle, not the bass, which in that tradition has a much more simple role. But here he's turned all that on its ear, and he's, he's playing the melody very beautifully and also doing those kind of bluesy bluegrass slides. Music by Edgar Meyer. Let's turn now to another great bassist composer and huge advocate for the bass as a solo instrument, and that's Bertram Turetsky. Bertram Turetsky actually wrote a book in 1974 called The Contemporary Contrabass, in which he advocates that the bass be a solo performance vehicle with no instrumental accompaniment. So he's a huge proponent for the bass. He has had over 300 pieces written for him by composers for a solo bass. You can imagine that's an awful lot of music. Uh, One of the pieces that I really enjoyed listening to the most is called Mobile 2. It's by Mexican composer Manuel Enriquez, and it's for any stringed instrument. Here, of course, it's going to be for the bass with tape accompaniment. Let's have a listen. This is Bertram Turetsky performing with the tape accompaniment Mobile 2 by Manuel Enriquez.
That's music by Mexican composer Manuel Enriquez called Mopal 2. It's music for any stringed instrument, so he doesn't mind which instrument you play it on as long as it's stringed. Here we heard it for bass by Bertram Turetsky, that great bass player, composer, and advocate for the bass as a solo instrument. I also had a tape accompaniment, in case you're wondering how one bassist could make all of those sounds. He's playing alongside a tape accompaniment of himself. Well, we've come to the end of our program about music for the double bass, but we do have just a couple minutes left, and I thought it might be fun to end the program with something a little different. These are three jazz bassists. Ray Brown, who is really one of the great jazz bassists of all time. He played with pretty much everybody who's anyone in the jazz world, and he's going to be performing alongside two similarly great bassists, John Clayton and Christian McBride. They're referring to themselves here as Super Bass. This is a live performance at Schuler's in Boston. They're performing Blue Monk by Thelonious Monk. We'll have as much as we can hear here at the end of the program. Relevant Tones is produced by Jesse McWhorters, with special thanks to Claire Fosnacht. For more information about the program and the artists we've featured, you can find us on Facebook, and you can hear this and all previous programs at relevanttones.com. Relevant Tones is brought to you in part by the generous support of Grovner Capital Management LP, the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, and the listener supporters of the WFMT Fine Arts Circle. This project is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts, Artworks, I'm Seth Bostead, and this is the WFMT Radio Network.